Well, good morning. My name's Carrie. If you're new and I haven't met you, I want to meet you after service. How about that? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, and it's almost like I saw somewhere this week that they ought to change it from Thanksgiving Day to Thanksgiving Days. So hopefully with a little bit of time off work, maybe family in, maybe you had some travels that you were able to breathe and sort of center in and be present rather than always being hurried. And so that's my prayer for us today as we sort of finish out the Thanksgiving days, weekend, that we would be able to find ourselves not present only with one another, but present with the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we sang of your amazing grace, may we never, ever lose sight of the beauty of what you've done for us through your entrance into this world, your life, your death, your resurrection, what you're doing now and when you come again. We have come here today as family, whether this is our hundredth time that we've gathered in this room or whether it's our first time, we have come to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we now ask, God, that you would help us bring some clarity to a subject matter that we've been journeying in for the last few weeks, and that you would take your word and apply it to our hearts and bring us hope and encouragement, but also exhortation. So we pray for your Holy Spirit to have its way in all of our hearts, including my own, Lord Jesus. May your spirit speak through your word and through your testimony. And may you draw us ever close to you. And may we be empowered by your spirit as well to head forth back into our work week, our school week, our domestic life, whatever it may be, Lord, that we would head back into this week on the heels of the holiday with indeed a spirit of gratitude, but with a spirit filled with power, wonder, and awe, and beauty. As we've come to worship you, may we continue to worship you all the days in your name. Amen. So the um, question that we've been positioning in the last few weeks is this question, heaven, who goes there? Heaven, who goes there? And as we look at this question, I am mindful that for some people... This is a question that uh, maybe you have uh, had answered in your life for a long time. But it's a question that is out there in our culture and our society that is fairly well assumed. We said uh, in these weeks that we've been focused on this, that 75% of people believe in heaven or an afterlife. And that there are some assumptions that go along with that. And people believe that um, good people go to heaven and that they are good people, especially when they sort of look around them. And so we have unpacked this just to do not only a review today, but to bring everybody up to speed so you don't feel like you're walking into uh, the middle of a movie. The journey we've been on in these weeks has taken front and center this need to answer such a vital question. And why is that question there even? I don't know. Does your pet animal contemplate this question about heaven? I don't know that they necessarily do. Um, you can maybe think that. I don't know. Maybe you've talked to them. I don't know. But uh, it's a human being kind of question. It's a, a question of our spirit and soul that there's got to be more, right? As it says in Ecclesiastics 3.11, God has put eternity in our hearts. And so we were created, we were born not to die, we were born to live, and we were born to live eternally. But something happened with the human race, and there's brokenness and fallenness, and maybe you're here this morning uh, that you come as a broken person. And maybe you have contemplated bigger questions such as this. Maybe you have not. Maybe you're so focused on the present, it's hard to think about, well, I don't know about the afterlife, whatever. I was uh, sort of jolted into reality of the brevity of life this week when my oldest sister 
uh, I got a, a text message from her that she was in the hospital in Houston, Texas. And she was on her way to be able to take care of her granddaughter. And she blacked out on the driveway and came to later, somehow got in the house. And one of her sons was there, went to the hospital. And she had a ruptured uh, intestine. And she went into uh, sepsis shock. And this is not good stuff. And she was in such pain. And one of her last texts to me after... Uh, I think was right before she was uh, taken into surgery was, and you can tell, I don't know if it's because of the pain that she was in or the morphine that she was on, but she just simply sent a text and said, uh, I want to die. It's okay. Well, first I'm like, don't be going there and talking about that. You're going to be okay. And she came through surgery. She's in recovery. She has a journey that she's on. But when it's your sister, right? I mean, this is like your generation. This isn't people older than you dying. There, there's the challenge of the reality that as we grow older, is like there is this brevity of life thing. But that she said it's okay because I know where her heart's at. And yeah, she'd want the pain to go away and other kinds of things. But it... Is it okay if you die? Uh, we don't like to think about that, Gary. That's why I'm glad we're done with this series this week. So let's move on to something that's more warm, fuzzy for life, for the holidays. Friends, all of us, we have a time stamp in our life. You will not live forever. There will be a passing from this life to the next life. Have you answered this question? Is there a heaven? And if there is a heaven, who goes there? So week one, just in review, just to bring us up to speed again, especially if you're stepping in this morning, week one is this. We talked about how good is good enough. And we came to this conclusion that good people don't go to heaven. How good is good enough? There is no uh, universal, multi-generational list of things to do and not do in order to get into heaven. And you might think that that's true of the scriptures, but if you go to the scriptures, the scriptures are even more challenging because of the standard that it's raised. Because the reality is, good people do not go to heaven. And that might be the response you have if you walk through the cubicles in your workplace. If you had you know, the initiative, and you took the initiative, I guess, to say, do you, how do you get to heaven? How would people, well, you, you go to heaven, and uh, if you're good, right? That's just a common answer. Well, how good's good enough? Well, then you start to challenge with it. And one of the reasons is because, as well, I'm good enough. And, and you, you compare yourself to other people compared to them and compare, I'm pretty good. Compared to, man, some of these evil people I see on you know, the news, I, I'm pretty good. But there is no standard of what is good that's good enough. And you do not meet that standard if you want to take it according to what the scripture is. Because good people do not go to heaven. And as we looked at, the reality is it's forgiven people that go to heaven. In Romans 3, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even one. Let's define reality, folks. Even if you are a little bit uh, confident, let's go underneath the actions and look at our attitudes. I know it's true in my own life. You can just take the seven deadly sins and start right there, right? Things like uh, pride and envy and lust and gluttony and sloth. Oh, those are, those are scary kinds of words. Well... Let's look at the underbelly of them and what Jesus ended up doing, right? Is he really raised the bar on that? And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Scripture teaches that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so that was beautiful hope as we looked on this question of how good is good enough and the reality that None of us are good enough because good people don't go to heaven and so don't worry about trying to be good for nothing. It's forgiven people. 
And what did Jesus do when he turned to the man that was with him, beside him, uh, when he died on the cross? He said what? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, that man that was the criminal that died next to him didn't have time. Time had run out to list a bunch of good that would might outweigh it all. All right, so that was week one. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Paul wrote that as he was still a sinner, acknowledging that Jesus Christ was even alive at the time that he was sinning more. Second week, we looked at rethinking good. Only Jesus is good enough for heaven because he was born without sin and lived a sinless life and became the perfect sacrifice for our sins that we looked at. It's only Jesus that is good enough. And Jesus' good, we call it his righteousness, is what we need to be able to get into heaven to live eternally in a place that's perfectly good. Because if we go to a place that's perfectly good with our sin nature, our double-mindedness, our attitude, everything else that we're prone to fall to, then that would no longer be a perfect heaven because we will have contaminated it, if you will. So to get reconciled to God and get back into relationship with him, to live for eternity with him in a perfect and good heaven, we need goodness. We need righteousness, uprightness. Only Jesus is good enough for heaven, but only Jesus in you brings goodness. Only Jesus in you brings goodness through his, and we gave you this big theological word, imputed righteousness. Jesus took upon himself our sin, and then he gave to us, if we are believers in him, our righteousness. And when we stand before heaven, in whatever dimension that is, why should I let you into heaven? It's not because you're good. You are allowed into God's good heaven because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This imputed righteousness idea is, is transformational when you start to understand it because some of you have been beating yourself up this week that you don't measure up. Maybe you were around some family members at the, at the Thanksgiving table and they reminded you that you're not very good or that you fall short. And maybe you got in some nitpicking kind of fights, this and that. And you don't come through the holiday uh, weekend thinking very highly of yourself. Well, in one sense, that's okay. You need to define reality. All of us have sinned. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've let him come into your life, then you have his righteousness dwelling within you. That's why 2 Corinthians says this in 2 Corinthians 5. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, to be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Pause. Big picture reality. You can be reconciled to God because the one who knew no sin took your sin upon himself. He paid the penalty on the cross. He died and he was raised from the grave that we might have the righteousness of God in our life through him. Through him. So that was week one and two. But when we finished out week two, there's just this reality. Well, that's all good news. There's bad news. That none of us are good enough. We all fall short. But the good news is that the righteousness of Jesus is there for us to receive into our own life. But guess what? Information is not transformation. Information is not transformation. And for some of us, we've heard this before. Hey, I went to church here or there. I've, hey, that's all great. But information doesn't get you anywhere transformation is what you need, and so you need to make a decision based upon that information, what you're going to do with your life. So a decision, a decision needs to be made. And that decision, if 
you want to be one that's counted in the number of being in God's heaven, is to repent, to believe, and to receive Jesus Christ into my life as forgiver, Lord, and my righteousness, his goodness, for this life and for the afterlife. And so that question comes to all of us again this morning. Have you taken the opportunity? Have you taken the initiative? Have you been blessed with the transformation of Jesus Christ coming into your life? Repent means to change of mind, a change of direction. I've headed this direction, living for myself, sort of indifferent to God. I am now turning, and I am going to run to God. I'm going to believe in Jesus, who he is, receive Jesus into my life to forgive my sins, to be Lord, which means to be leader, right? And for his righteousness, goodness to come in. And last week, right up here, we had baptism time. And baptism time is a special time. Why? It's because people are declaring publicly that they've made a decision. I believe before they were baptized, right? And it wasn't the baptism that saves them. It was an outer sign of what they had done in the interior part of their life. And everyone... Everyone in the marketplace, when you go to a grocery store, everyone that you watch play football on the screen, everyone that's down the hall in your workplace, everyone that's sitting in your classroom, everyone, everyone, Jesus wants to be with him. But heaven is only for those who want to be followers of Jesus. Have you made that decision? Then last week, we took on a subject because, well, here's the reality. You can't go through the scriptures without seeing that there's a bunch of rules. So why the rules? So we looked at the matter of rules last week. And we said rules or commandments, if you will, of scripture, of God. Rules are not God's attempt to make bad people good. Bad people good? That's not why God gave the commandment. And we looked at one of the exciting aspects when you look at even God calling the Israelites, the Hebrew people out of Egypt, right? Set my people free. He entered into a relationship with them before they ever left Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, and were given the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments were not for God to come into relationship with him. He had come into relationship with him, and we realized that rules follow relationship. Rules don't lead to relationship. You didn't have a bunch of kids in your household because you had a good set of rules you wanted to apply to their life. You give them rules so that they can find goodness and that they can find freedom and keep that freedom in their life. And so rules are not God's attempt to make bad people good. Rather, rules are God's commands to keep forgiven people free. Have you ever been instructed by your parent, even if you're an adult child today, been instructed by your parent to do something, you're like, that's, that's just a dumb idea. Or you're being nitpicky. Or you're being legalistic or something like that. Well, I can tell you what, I don't think they're out to destroy your fun in life. I think that they care for you. And the instructions that we get from people who love us are for the purpose of protecting our freedom and walking continually in God's grace like we sung about. That's why in John 14, Jesus himself said, as he's heading to the cross, he's got his disciples around him, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Rules flow from relationship. And he understood that they needed to walk in the way of his commandments in order to continue to experience the good life in this life, not to become good for the next life, because he took that upon himself at the cross. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. 
Jesus is the only person that's good, and we need his goodness living within us. And the rules and instructions that we are given are not to kill our joy, but to keep us free and moving forward, to become all that Jesus wanted us to be. For it was Jesus himself who said in John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. And what does it say in the first part of that verse? The thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and live it to the fullest. So here, obey my commands and walk in my way. Otherwise, there's this migration towards bondage, indifference, double-mindedness, brokenness, and pain. God has a reason for us to follow his commandments and rules, but it's not to be a goody tushu's person to get into heaven. We looked at a couple of verses last week. I just remind us of this when the Apostle Paul himself knew this because he was a big-time rule keeper. That's why he thought, you know, hey, I was such a great person. I'm good. And then God spoke to him in his life. He met Jesus through a vision, and he realized that he was the chief, uh, that Paul realized he was the chief of all sinners. And it was Paul then who said in Galatians 1 and 5, 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burned again by a yoke of slavery. You know why he was saying that? It's because he had a bunch of Judaizers around them and said, okay, maybe Jesus is all right, but then you got to keep all these rules to keep in relationship with God. No, that's not why we were commanded to follow the Lord in certain aspects. And so he said, don't go there. Don't go back to the legalism. Don't go back and fall into sin. There is a power that God has brought into your life through transformation, and you now need to move forward every day of your life. This is Sunday. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Wow, the whole week, every day. I want to live in freedom and joy in God's grace. And so I obey his commands. Don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He also reiterates this, Paul does in Romans, in a beautiful way. And I talked to someone just briefly after last week, and he brought up this verse, and I'm like, that's a verse I need to bring back. And it's true. This is one of the, the favorite passages in my life, Romans chapter 6, because of all that God's done, right? Romans 3 talks about, hey, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5 talks about God demonstrating his love for us, and that's why we're at sinners Christ died for us. He gets to Romans 6, and everybody's cheering because of what? Good news, good news. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven, and I'm forgiven. Look at God's grace. Look at what God has done in forgiving my sin. And then he addresses this argument that some people started to chatter with. Well, why don't we just keep doing sin so God looks good? What? What shall we say then, it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. What are you thinking? The Lord set you free from the bondage. You name the sin. And and now you're toying with it again? What are you thinking? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. We don't need to salute it any longer. How can we live in it any longer? And he starts to unpack in an incredible way our position in Christ and his righteousness with us. He says a few verses later, I love this. He says, therefore, in verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it reign. You'll be tempted. You say no. Lying. Unrighteous anger. Deceit. Immorality. You say no. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. You've been transformed. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You have been saved. You are now in a different standing. So take every part of your body, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your arms, your hands, your fingers, your legs, your feet, uh, don't offer any part of your body 
to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Rather, offer yourselves to God. Why? Because he's a big-time rule thumper, that's why. And he's just waiting for you to mess up so you can feel miserable? No. Don't. Don't go there. You've been set free. Offer the parts of your body to God as instruments of something else. Those who've been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of what? Righteousness. Another word for what? Goodness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law. You don't have to salute to that sin anymore. You say, I'm dead to that sin. I'm alive in Christ. You're not under law, but you're under, this is amazing grace, right? It's not about what you do. That's religion. It's about what Christ has done. But you have to make the decision to invite Christ into your life. A couple other things I just wanted to tag today. And that's why I extended an extra week. Week four, I just titled simply here, destiny of the redeemed the destiny of the redeemed to those who have that standing is for kingdom obedience in this life and freedom in this life but the destiny of the redeemed is also to reign in a new heaven and a new earth in the afterlife i would be amiss in this series if i just didn't come circle back around to an understanding a little bit of what the afterlife is in heaven. If you want to read uh, a really good, very in detailed, intense book on this, a guy by the name of Randy Alcorn has written on heaven. And I want you to watch this video as he frames up some of this thought about the afterlife. If you are a redeemed person, you have a destiny. And it's not just us thanking the Lord and worship today. It's us moving out of here into the next week, almost upon a new year, using the instruments of our life, our bodies, our minds, our will, our emotions, our compassion for the goodness of God and his kingdom work because there's a much bigger picture going on than the 70, 80 years that you have here on this earth by God's grace. Now, sometimes we act as if Satan won this huge victory. God intended human beings to rule the earth to his glory, and then Satan stepped in and messed it all up, and now God is going to have to be content with saving souls and snatching them out of this world so that they can live as disembodied spirits in the angelic realm forever. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In, in Daniel chapter 7, this particular passage, Daniel 7, talks about these nations of the earth. And you've got the lion that Daniel talks about that's Babylon. And then you've got the Medo-Persian Empire that's the bear. And you've got Greece that's like a, a leopard. And you've got the fourth beast, terrifying and frightening, that's going to be the Roman Empire. But then he says in verse 9 of Daniel 7, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. Here's God on the throne. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. The holy God, similar to Isaiah, with, you know, the angel singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, God Almighty. It says, thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. And it's talking of a time where God is going to bring judgment upon the peoples of the earth, the nations of the earth. And then he says in verse 13, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. 
This is the second member of the triune God, Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. He approached the ancient of days, the Father, and was led into his presence. And now here's what becomes relevant. Because you might be thinking, well, what does this all have to do with heaven? Well, it has a great deal to do with it. Because in verse, verse 14 it says, He was given authority, glory, and sovereign powers. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. But if you read this in the context of Daniel 7, it's emphatically clear that this dominion that's being spoken of is a dominion on earth that replaces the dominion of the nations of the earth. These actual nations like Babylon and Persia and, and Greece and Rome. That is something that's going to be managed, that kingdom, to the glory of God. Well, who's going to do the managing? Well, verse 18. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom, that's this kingdom on earth, and will possess it forever. So all of these promises of Scripture that have to do with reward and crowns, and you've been a faithful in little, I'll put you over much, and faithful in this, I'll put you over five cities, faithful in that, I'll put you over ten cities, these are actually real places where people are going to live on a physical earth where we will have physical resurrected bodies. We will not be disembodied spirits for all eternity hanging out in the angelic realm. We will live on a new earth, a transformed earth in transformed bodies, ruling it to God's glory. His plan has never changed. His redemptive plan is to restore the kingdom of this earth to be ruled by his people to God's glory, and that's what scripture says we will experience forever in a new heavens and a new earth. Does that change your concept of heaven any? In our last series, if you were here, we had the timeline from creation and the fall. And God working through all of history to the new beginning. And the new beginning is the new heaven and the new earth. I grew up without a very deep theology of the new beginning with the new heaven and new earth. Oh, it was there, but I guess I never dialed into it. And so I sort of took on what maybe you've taken on. When you die, you float up into heaven. Maybe you have a harp on a cloud. I mean, what are these concepts? Where did they come from? Or you're just a disembodied spirit, or the earth is so bad, just burn it up. What? Well, it does talk about God remaking the earth, and maybe through fire, I don't know. But here's the reality. Your destiny as a believer, if you've invited Jesus into your life, is a new heaven and a new earth. And we talked about in that series that it's heaven coming down to earth, the new Jerusalem. There's a lot of reworking in some of our minds, even as evangelical Christians, what the big picture here is. And could it be that some of the passionate issues of our culture today, issues of fairness and justice, pushing back against prejudice, taking care of the earth, could, could some of these issues really be a part of us as human beings trying to live up to something that's bigger that God's called us to? But what's happened, I believe, through, well, I don't know, somewhere maybe through the last decade, the last millennium, or even out, is that we've just given this gospel message that says, you're a sinner, you need Jesus, get saved, wait around for heaven or the rapture when God comes to take you back and then everything will be fine. But until then, you just live as your own little subculture over here. That is not what God's intent is. His intent is for the redeemed to forward his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, to live a full and rich life in his service purposes, 
Because soon and very soon, we will pass from this life to the next life. And absent from the body, present with the Lord, Scripture says. And I don't fully understand all that and the disembodied stuff and then the resurrection of the bodies and those kinds of things. But the ultimate destiny is that we will rule and reign with Christ in a new heaven and a new earth. That's your destiny as a redeemed person. Should that destiny redefine what you're doing today? The eternal destiny of the forgiven and the redeemed. There's four things I want to say, and maybe this is a whole other series sometimes. I just want to highlight them today. Number one is your destiny is to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. We see dimly as in a mirror, then we will see clearly face to face. One second on the other side of this life will redefine everything about this life. And that's because you'll see Jesus Christ. You'll live in his presence for eternity. There's no night or no day because Christ is the brightness and the life that comes. And we will dwell in his presence just like loved ones who have been believers in Christ that have gone on before you. And that leads us to number two, is that your destiny is to be with those others, family loved ones who are in Christ. You know, Chuck Swindoll, some of you knew who he was. He taught here in Southern California. I listened to a lot of Chuck Swindoll growing up, driving tractors, listening to Christian radio and messages, and you know, uh, uh, shepherds and pastors, some in in uh, Texas, but I remember one time, I don't know, maybe it was because driving a tractor listening to messages, Chuck Swindoll said, there's going to be three surprises after you die and get to heaven. Surprise number one is who is there in heaven. Oh, wow. The thief on the cross, hmm. You'll be surprised as to who is there. Number two is you will be surprised who is not there. Scripture teaches, Jesus teaches, some call me Lord, Lord, but I say depart from me. I never knew you. And then Chuck Swindoll said number three was I'll be surprised that I'm there. Not because he didn't believe in the truth of salvation saved by grace through faith, it was that, wow, I'm here. I'm here. We, we get to the other side in the afterlife. It's going to be rich community. Living in the presence of Jesus. With those who are in Christ. But I want to mention a third and then a fourth. And we're going to come back to the third. The third is this. The eternal destiny of the forgiven, the redeemed, is to be judged for our works by Christ. And the fourth is to be co-heirs and reign with Christ, like Randy Alcorn was saying in that video. I want to tag number three, because I believe this teaching has been lost in church circles, and it's been distorted to be used against us as Jesus followers. But it needs to be something that we're soberly mindful of, but that we look with great anticipation towards. To be judged for our works by Christ. In Revelation, it talks about the great white throne judgment. You ever heard of that? The great white throne judgment is the ultimate judgment at the end of time, and it's a judgment towards those who never believed and received Jesus Christ into their life. Every knee shall bow in heaven on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, it says in Philippians. So the judgments, the the uh, great white throne judgment is at the end of time. It's actually after the millennium, if you're into eschatology and end time stuff. It's after the thousand year reign. The great white throne judgment. And that's where there'll be a departing into eternity of those who are not believers of Christ. 
Why want to be in an afterlife with Jesus if you don't want to worship him now? And so unto yourself then, so it be. But there is another judgment that seems to be intertwined with several verses. And I don't have the opportunity to necessarily go through a lot of those verses. But these verses reflect on something that's called the judgment seat of Christ. Have you ever heard about it? Sometimes it's referred to as the Bema seat. Judgment. Bema is the Greek word because judgment seat is a combined word in Scripture. And the Bema seat judgment is a different judgment than the final judgment of the great white throne judgment. And so if you'll take your scriptures and turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5.10, we have this verse. For we must all appear before the judgment seat, the bema seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Well, I don't know, Carrie. You've been three weeks on this series, and you've been talking about there's no one good, good enough to get into heaven, and you're right. This judgment seat, this moment of judgment, does not have anything to do with your salvation if you're in or out of heaven. But it is a judgment from Christ concerning what you have done in the body for his kingdom good or not. And this Bema seat, people would have been maybe familiar with in the, the Romans of that day or the athletic events of that day. It was the person that would sit on this seat to make sure games were ruled justly and to hand out the rewards. And so there's different places in Scripture that talk about the judgment seat of Christ. If you turn then to 1 Corinthians 3.10, you will find these words. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation, Paul's talking, as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. And then he exhorts in verse 10, but each one should build with care. And listen to this. If you don't have the scriptures before you, listen to this. For no one can lay any foundation other than that one already laid, which is Jesus Christ, referring to Christ as our salvation. If anyone builds on this foundation, look at these elements builds on the foundation of Jesus, upon our relationship with him, of our salvation with him, of being redeemed with him. If anyone builds on this foundation and tries to move forward in life for the kingdom's purposes, if anyone, verse 12, builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D, which is that final day for a believer, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So Paul's saying, hey, each one should build on care of this truth and the life that you have moving forward. You know, what, what are you doing in your, your job and your education and your domestic life, whatever it is? As you move forward, you need to build on the relationship, the foundation of Jesus Christ, the transformation that's come from him. You're going to now build your life moving forward, but be careful how you build because there's a day coming of judgment. But it's not like a heavy judgment. It's like I guess it's sort of like the Academy Awards and handing out the Oscars, right? They're all packed into the theater there, and they, they go from one award to another. It takes a lot of time, it seems like, on Academy Night. But they go from one to the... And 
Everybody, does everybody get a trophy? No. Does everybody get whipped and punished? No. Because this judgment is about the rewards. And you and I, as a believer in Christ, we need to be diligent. The destiny of the redeemed is to build and work for God's kingdom in this life and in the life to come because there are rewards that are coming and the judgment seat of Christ is going to happen for every one of us. Some people believe it like happens after the rapture, before the millennium. There's a lot of you know, conjecture and all that. But we know this, every Christian is going to stand before Jesus and have to give an account of what they've done and not done. Now that can be a heavy if you doubt your salvation. But if you know that you're a believer in Christ, it's not going to have anything to do with sin. Jesus forgives sin, past, present, future. He separates it as far as the east from the west. Sins are not going to be brought up at the judgment seat of Christ. What's brought up at the judgment seat of Christ is your works, what you've been doing with your life that I've given you. And in the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be great joy and rejoicing. And I don't know about you, but I want to be at the front of the line on that. In one sense, this is a warning message. I was hanging, uh, or I saw some, I helped set up the Christmas tree uh, on Friday in our family, and there was this glass uh, um, uh, ornament that had etched in stone my father's name, Charles Bowman. And it had his birth date, and he had passed away 10 years ago. And I thought to myself, wow, it's been 10 years since my dad passed away. And it made me reflect, because I was back and forth, heading into study. My dad was always one of these people. He was radically saved out of a life of not knowing about Jesus. And he came to know Jesus, and he lived his life for Jesus. He wasn't perfect by any means. But God's grace was upon him, and he was bothered that a lot of times teaching in churches didn't give what he referred to as the warning message. He said, Carrie, the churches need to give a warning message. And the warning message isn't so much about, you're a good-for-nothing person. It's the warning message of, yeah, these days are brief, and we're held accountable. And he's in the presence of the Lord now, and, and, and he would say to me, Carrie, your age, what are you going to keep doing here? You, you're going to keep serving the kingdom's purposes, or are you just tired and you're going to you know, exit stage left and just sort of forget things? No, sign me up. I want to serve the purposes of God. There's a judgment day coming, and I want to receive the rich rewards of the Lord. Each one should build with care. It lists different elements. Did you catch them? The different elements there, because it's reflective of what we're doing. Gold, silver, costly stones. Those are all good, right? But wood, hay, or straw? Hmm. And the Apostle Paul says, be mindful of what you're building with because there's a day of judgment coming. If what has been built survives, survives what? He's referring to the fire. There's going to come a fire. There's going to come a fire. If it is burned up, if it is burned up, if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. I've had this picture in my mind through the years of the judgment seat of Christ being a great day, but what I bring and I offer is wood, hay, and straw. And the consuming fire of the Lord was depicted there in the Daniel passage that Randy Alcorn made mention. God, a consuming fire. Poof! It's gone. Just smoke. The gold, silver, costly stones, they'll stand the test of time. What are you building with in your life and will it stand the test of time, including the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat? The Bema seat judgment is not about your salvation. The Bema seat judgment is about rewards. And there is a warning message in that. Because I fear in my own life, if I'm not pure in heart, because you see fire, it sort of shows motives pretty quick. 
if I'm not pure in heart as God enables me to serve righteously his purposes, I'm going to be one that's like escaping through the flames and I have nothing to show because it was all done for wrong motives, self-centered motives, impurities. They'll all get burned up. But Jesus wants to gift and reward those to rule and reign with him, Scripture says, for eternity, for those who have built well. The destiny of the redeemed is for this life and the afterlife, but it's about serving the king and the kingdom's purposes in all ways, in your home, in your workplace, in your social circles. Live a life for Jesus. Because heaven, who goes there? Not good people, forgiven people. Because it's a place of goodness, and we need the goodness of Jesus on our life. But heaven, who goes there? Well, the redeemed do. But hopefully as redeemed people, we go there. Offering to the Lord that which stands the test of time for his glory. So what decision do you need to make today? Is it one to be redeemed in Christ for your destiny in this life and the life to come in the afterlife? Or is there a decision that needs to be made? To redeem this life for Christ as you look forward to reigning with him eternity. What's your decision? Is it one to be redeemed in Christ? Or is it one to redeem this life for Christ? Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are in awe when we look into your scriptures and unpack the story of time of what you did in redeeming us sending your spirit to empower us to give us a life that can be used for you as we move towards the afterlife and in this room here this morning Lord there are two sets of people maybe that you've spoken to if there's anyone here who is unsure that they would be there on the final day they have the information but they've not fallen under transformation because they've not made a decision to follow you, to repent and to turn and invite you into their life. I pray, God, that you would enable them to do that in the quietness of their heart right now with a simple prayer. I'm a sinner. I know I'm not good enough. But you are good, Jesus. And though I don't know everything, I invite you, Jesus, to come into my life as my forgiver my Lord, my Redeemer. And Lord, for another group of people, maybe that they were to take stock of their life right now and have to stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, Lord, that they would be ashamed because an awful lot's going to get burned up. Lord, as a pastor, I'm very mindful of that, that what I do for you would last. And so, Lord, I include myself in that. May I again today choose to redeem my life for your glory and for your purposes. May I live for you in your kingdom's good until you come again. Jesus, I want to rule and reign with you through all of eternity. Not just for the rewards, for many ways, the crowns which are spoken as rewards can be cast at your feet because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But Lord, I love you, and I want to obey your commands in this life and into eternity. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to simply ask if you were in Camp 1 this morning and raise your hand saying, I need to invite Jesus into my life. Just raise your hand in acknowledgement before the Father in heaven. That's me. I want to be in heaven if I was to pass from this life. And now for camp two. 
the Lord's spoken to you about needing to redeem your life and change some things where you're serving his purposes. Raise your hand to Jesus and say, use my life. Amen. Others. Help me to live for your purposes. Lord, you saw the hands and the hearts for both. May you seal it until the day that we see you face to face. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for journeying with us in this series. If there's some um, prayer requests that you have, I invite you to come and pray with someone up in our prayer area to the right of the stage. I'm going to ask the ushers to take their places, receive the Lord's tithes and offerings, but we want to be able to pray for you in whatever needs that you have. Um, if you're new here today, we're glad to have you here, part of the Awakening family, and any way that we can be of encouragement to you. We'd love to have you come back. You look for a home church. We're just a group of sincere people trying to find our way to spiritual growth through the truth and the purposes of Jesus Christ. But uh, as they come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings, you can place them in that basket there, your connect cards, if you want to have a discovery of spiritual growth. There's places to mark out on the back of your Connect cards. You can also give of your offering and your tithes and offerings. We sent out a mailing this last week, sort of kicking off the year-end Christmas offering, if you want to give to that, uh, or to your tithes and offerings. You can go to um, the website or text AWAKENING to 77977. This week, youth group's back on, right, Pastor Michael? And it's pasta night. So if you're a student or if you've got some neighbor kid that needs to Go to youth group, or you want to just eat pasta. Yeah, that's Wednesday night at 6.30. The women's ministry uh, has a holiday event and art painting class, and you need to sign up, purchase your tickets out at the Welcome Center. Uh, sign up today. Uh, that's on December the 9th from 1 to 4. And Dawn, you can talk to her, but she also wanted to let you know that if you'd like to help decorate the church some for Christmas, Come Saturday, this Saturday at 10 a.m., because we need people to jump in and get some trees moved around, do some lights and other kinds of things as we sort of kick off the holiday season next week and step into Advent. Children's ministry, uh, Sunday, 17th of December. It's a special Sunday fun day that Pastor Zach and uh, Brittany are putting on, and you'll want to make sure that your child is here for that. Also, if you have children, you need to know that on Sunday, December the 24th, it's an, a family church service in the morning. We will have a special Christmas Eve service in the evening, which is always you know, a quaint, beautiful time to come. But we are having two services, and they're different. Sunday morning is family service for Christmas on Christmas Eve day, and then Christmas Eve service is at 5 p.m. But the Sunday morning, the children are going to help lead us in worship, and they got some practice dates before that. So Angela just wants you to know that, hey, have your kids stay for 30 minutes after service beginning next week and for the next two or three Sundays, and uh, they can be a part of that worship leading experience for our Christmas Eve service. Uh, morning uh, service. Boxes of love, we passed them out last week. Some of you got them. Many more of you need to pick them up. These are boxes that we fill with food items for needy families during the holiday season. And you need to take the envelope with you uh, so it tells you the items and then there's a check, I think, for the meat that's put in it. But you need to pick that up on your way out. Box and envelope, all right? I am looking forward to the month of December. How about you? Will you stand with me? And uh, I want to just pray a blessing over your life. Now may the Redeemer, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end, come upon the redeemed to go out into the highways and the byways of life this week to offer the goodness of the kingdom and redemption through Christ in both deed and word. And may the Spirit of God empower you as one of the redeemed to serve the eternal purposes of your King, Jesus. Amen.
We'll see you next Sunday.